what do you want out of this? And to get you out, you know, to get you out of this, how can we make it work for both of us? You know, how can, um, you know, you don't have those guys to do that work and you can't do it for this. And we do, and, you know, we're kind of getting there, but, you know, kind of talking it through so that it, you know, you both come out of it with what you want. Welcome to the Good Stewards Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to seasoned real estate investors who want to maximize the cash flow potential in their business. We are buy and hold investors with a thousand plus properties and markets across the U.S. who bring an insider's view into the nitty gritty details of real estate investing. If you're looking to develop the mindset, teams, and systems that can dramatically build your real estate business and net worth, you're in the right place. Welcome to this episode of the Good Stewards Podcast. I'm Ryan Dossie. I'm Amanda Perkins. I'm Bill Sirius. And I'm Andrew Sirius. Hello, everyone. It's good to have you today. Please check us out on thegoodstewards.com. Download our free ebook. Uh, Check us out on social media. Subscribe. Tell your friends about us. And we're getting in right now to a interesting topic. It's negotiation. Now, the reason I think it's a critical topic is because Every single day we are negotiating and I think we just have to assign ourselves to the fact that life is negotiation. I mean, just think about your kids, your spouse, your friends, uh, what, if you're going to go to this restaurant or that restaurant, if, if your kid's going to wear that pair of shoes or that pair of shoes this morning, or if they're going to wear no shoes that like they want to, if you get you have over, to ne- is it a ticket or a warning? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Life is negotiation and the better you are at negotiating, the better you will be at life. That's the bottom line. Now, really defining negotiation, it's simply making an agreement, coming to a consensus of some kind with another party or, or other parties. Uh, and oftentimes, often that means making concessions, uh, doing compromises. Uh, there's all kinds of things involved. One person's kind of in power. Another person might feel weaker. There's saving face. There's leveraging. There's ego involved. There's all kinds of, but it's all about relationships and it's all about coming into an agreement. Life is negotiation. Now we're going to get a little more specific here, and that is negotiating with a seller of real estate because that's what we do as real estate investors. But as we hone our, you know, basic our, our toolbox of negotiating skills, we will get much better at this over time. Now I just want to kind of throw this question out to begin with, and we'll you. I want you and who are listening to think about this in our in our panel here to address it as well. What makes for a good negotiator? What's the difference between somebody who doesn't have very good negotiating skills and somebody who does? I would say two of the biggest things I've noticed are the ability to have a conversation with some light confrontation in it. Like having somebody hit you with a, you're out of your mind. How did you come to that number? And have you not like, well, okay, you're right. Have a nice day. Um, being able to explain your point when there's a little bit of confrontation. And then I, w- I would say the second piece is always trying to get one step further than you did on the last deal. So if your last deal, you know, you made them an offer, they told you no, 
you justified your point and then left it. Well, maybe on the next one, you justify your point and then re-ask to get the deal done or ask them where they would need to be. I think those are the two the two biggest things I've seen people struggle with is they either like initial rejection and shut down um, or they'll like they don't quite have the the gumption to like, I'm going to ask a second time. <laughs> so um, those are those or are the two really ones. just not having the courage to ask for what you want in the first place. You know, just kind of, um, you know, you're there to make a deal. And this is really with anything you're there to get what you want out of it. Um, you know, you've built your rapport, you're having this conversation. It's okay to ask for what you want in a respectful way. And, you know, not when, it, you know, if it's met with, um, you know, like what Ryan was saying, if somebody tells you you're out of your mind or whatever, to not just cower away because it, it was okay for you to ask for what you wanted. And that starts a conversation. Dealing with rejection or dealing with rejection is definitely something you're going to have to learn to deal with. In the same vein, if you're asking for what you want, you're going to get rejected sometimes. You're going to get a lot more no's than yeses. Yeah, if you're only getting <laughs> so, yeses, you've got a problem. Uh, yeah, you're problem. paying too much. <laughs> There's a song from my youth. It's uh, a line and it says, uh, and when I Father say my Abraham. youth, that's, that's the 70s, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> there ain't no good guys. There ain't no bad guys. There's just you and me, and we just disagree. So it's not personal. It's just business. It's just coming to an agreement. And that you, you've got to separate personalness from this, this, uh, this negotiation situation. And that, that's so easy to get yourself personally offended or personally involved, no matter which, whether you're the buyer or the seller, uh, you, you've got to step back and not put yourself into it personally on the, on the same token, there's the other side of that, that, you know, it's a lot of things are balancing act and negotiation has that element too. not getting overly attached to the deal. Like it's just, a, it's not this beautiful house. It's just a, it's just an asset, you know, and, uh, not Four getting so, yeah. Even if you've had many, many conversations with this person going past your strike price, your highest price that you, you decided, uh, because you so far down the line, you know, because you're so attached to it, uh, is not the way to go. You need to be, you always need to be willing to walk away. The person most willing to walk away is usually the one who will get the better end of the deal. And that's why homeowners often don't get a good deal is because they fall in love with something and they're, uh, they're communicating, they're following in love with the seller if they're directly involved or with a real estate agent and that agent's going to communicate that to the other agent. My like, clients really want this house. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're, if you're buying a house for yourself, you should think of yourself as an investor, not as a homeowner, but as a person who can still walk away from this dream house that you and your spouse just found. Um, and wrote the letter. To the owners <laughs> yeah. to tell them how much you love the house yeah. and why they Which should be the Which is a tremendous negotiating thing. I've seen on a number of occasions those work that you say, I love you, you know, sending a specialized letter. I've seen people get a twenty dollars or $30,000 discount because they were willing to take that extra step. And what that tells me is that the seller wasn't all about price. They might have been selling their family home or something they were very attached to and they saw this buyer who was in love with it but couldn't pay as much as some of their other offers, but because they like the buyers so much, they're willing to sell at a discount. That's a pretty cool situation. I do want to just re-highlight Amanda's 
phrase there of having the courage to ask for what you want. My gosh, the world would be such an easier place if people were just honest and had the confidence to say, hey, this is what I want or this is what I need. Um, so I would say if you take anything from this episode, uh, print that off, you know, tack it, tack it to your wall. Um, on the note about being okay with walking away, that's actually one of my favorite negotiating tactics. In my experience, when you make a seller an offer and they hit you with a let me think about it, in their mind, they have their house and your money. Um, some people are pretty reasonable and they come around within a day or two and, okay, we've got a deal or we don't have a deal. I need you to come up. But occasionally you want, run into one of these super fun sellers that like, we've got a guy we'd been talking to since November of last year who was like, well, I need a fourth payoff statement from my bank before I make a decision. Like it hasn't changed <laughs> since the last one by maybe more than three, 400 bucks. Like what's really going on here? And what he's got right now is the luxury of, he still has his house and he also has this cash offer from Ryan. So one of the things we'll do is just rip the plug out. Uh, you know, Hey, we've, we've wasted enough time on this. We're going to purchase a different property. Have a nice day. All of a sudden he's got his house that he didn't really want in the first place and no other options. So we've had several deals that have gone from kind of this back and forth, wishy-washy to like, whoa, wait, 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 wait. Um, you know, I, I, let's, let's do something here. So being afraid or not being afraid to say, Hey, you know, I'm really going to go a different direction. I, I wish you the best of luck. And just ending it there. I know a lot of guys that will like, but if anything changes, please keep me in mind. And it's like, you're not really walking away. You're still telling them, hey, this is an option. But yeah. we've had pretty good luck if a negotiation's dragging and just saying, hey, we're, we're done. And then let them come pursue you. I call that the Tijuana principle because in my youth, I used to go to <laughs> Tijuana. I'm talking not. the 70s again, guys. <laughs> you and my dad. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you wouldn't make your deal until you walked out of the store, right? That's on the way out. That's, and my wife, Teresa, bless her heart. She thought we were just screwing people over by being so hard nosed about negotiation, but you knew that you hadn't come anywhere near to the real price that the seller was willing to give something up with until you walked out of the store. And at that point they're following you and continuing to negotiate. That's a good place to be in. My dad's nickname is Tijuana Dan. I'm going to probably have to call you Tijuana Bill from here on out. <laughs> <laughs> Wasted Better away. Better than biohazard, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> I've been called a lot of things. <laughs> but let's move on, Perks shall of being we? a good negotiator. <laughs> <laughs> what is the key uh, to finding out what is motivating a seller in particular? How do we, how do we find out that? And let me just give a little introduction to this. Five days ago... Uh, Greg, a uh, partner of mine in, in Texas, and I were talking to a consultant who we were actually negotiating with. And it's on a kind of a complicated multifamily deal that we're putting together. And this consultant is critical to the thing, to the process. And the consultant was had been very hard and it was the first time we'd ever used him, but we, we absolutely had to have him involved in this process. And he wanted an astounding amount of money to be involved. Part of it was guaranteed 120,000 guaranteed over uh, a year at $10,000 a month. And I just said, I, uh, there's no way I can do that. And yet I really, we both really wanted this guy involved in this. Pro we had to have him involved in this project. 
it uh, it had issues of affordability and so forth that makes it different than the average purchase. So anyway, um, we we were able through emails and talking to finally come to the conclusion that um, we we can do this deal together. We, where we were at was paying per hour, like two hundred dollars per hour, no guarantee. Uh, that's kind of our position. We just want an hourly price because we don't want to have to, you know, how about if this thing isn't successful? Anyway, we finally came to an agreement where we pay $5,000 a month and we had a month, a 30 day notice that we could both back out of it, which was a very good deal for us. And I think a reasonable deal for him. Now, what was interesting about this was that I asked him, please tell me why why this uh, guaranteed payment was so important to you and why, why you have to have this. And he said, well, your guy's position of an hourly amount, I just hate to work by the hour. And Greg and I just had a big sigh of relief and we said, oh, really? That We hate to even <laughs> contemplate working by the hour as well. I'm sorry, you know, that, that makes total sense. And we, it was kind of like the dam broke with that one question. Why, why do you need to have a guaranteed payment. And so I think that just what that is an introduction into is you never know what you don't know about where a seller is coming from or where the party on the other side of the negotiation is coming from, unless you start asking really important questions to get into their world and their perspective and to see things from their point of view. That is so critical in a negotiation. I think as investors, a lot of the times we just assume it's price. Everything is price. Everything's about the money. In my experience, a lot of the times it's actually more about the freedom or the flexibility of like they want out fast because they feel like the house is sucking every spare dollar they have or the apartment's sucking everything they have. Or it could be that they like the flexibility of being able to go shopping with effectively your check for their house in their back pocket. Um, Bill and I are doing a deal out in Eugene. Uh, it's a single family that we gave them several months to to get out. So we're under contract. Deal's locked up. There is like a there is a date they have to be out by, but it's not a fourteen days or thirty days. I think the the key in my experience with all the direct to seller deals I've done is building enough rapport that they'll talk to you like a human being. Um, cause a lot of times they kind of have their guard up, uh, for any star Trek fans, like shields, red alert, right. Of like, this guy's going to come in and just try to get, get something for nothing. You know, I've, I've dealt with this type before and you've really got to meet them where they're at and then just get into open-ended questions. You know, where are you, where are you planning on going? You know, why are you selling the house now? Well, right. And like in the instance of that Eugene deal, they are, you know, their retirement is in the summer, but they already know where they want to move to. They already have their next house, but they don't want to have their market, their house on the market it to a retail buyer for the next six months. And then, you know, lots of retail buyers want to close immediately and deal with their rent back. So this, you know, it, determining that we could be that buyer, but we were going to have to wait six months and, you know, we're happy to do it and we're going to get a discount for doing it. Um, you know, that was, that was what they wanted out of the deal. And it took a decent bit of back and forth. It wasn't like, well, what do you want? Well, we're retiring. So, okay, we'll take your offer. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a lot of like cat and mouse. And, uh, the, the other thing I would caution, I just did a kind of like a troubleshooting call with one of the guys in my mastermind. He had 250 leads and hadn't gotten a deal yet. And I was like, man, even a blind squirrel is going to get a nut, <laughs> right? So we started going through it. And the problem was 
he was actually budgeting in too much profit for himself on deals and then spiking up his number when they said no. So if it was his offer was 100,000 and they'd say no, he'd be like, okay, well, what about 117? I was like, well, if I'm that seller, you just jumped up 17%. I'm like, what happens if I say no again? Or, well, why didn't you offer me that the first time? So make sure that you, um, there's a great book called Never Split the Difference. That's basically, we really try not to meet in the middle. Um, If I had to visualize what typical negotiations look like, I come up a grand or two for every 10, 20, 30,000 a seller's coming down. Um, I've got a wholesale deal we just listed that the seller initially had it listed on the MLS for 380,000 wasn't selling. They took it off. They initially wanted 300 and we were at like 250. Long story short, um, we got it for 259, right? So we didn't come up nearly as much as they came down. So I would make sure as you're talking to sellers, a like your, your increases in price, if you do go up and I highly recommend not throwing your highest and best out the gate, but I also wouldn't do huge dramatic swings where then it's like, oh, this guy lowballed me, you know, and now I'm getting his real offer. So what we typically use is more the angle of, you know, let me see if I can get my repair costs down at all. You know, I, I, I'm not going to be able to come up to your number, but if I could come up a little bit, do you think we could come to terms, right? If I could, would you is a big thing we do. Um, if I could get this number close to 260,000, would you sell me this house? right? Kind of getting some kind of pre-committal out of them. Um, but just, just be cautious that you're a not coming with your highest and best out of the gate just because you hate negotiation, right? I'll pay one fifteen, <laughs> And they're like, ah, no. And you like, that was your follow up with, Hey, do you want to do one fifteen? <laughs> that doesn't really give you much room, but also make sure that you don't start so low. Like, don't get me wrong. I love getting good deals. We've gotten some really good deals, but if you, you know, swing your offer up by 20%, in my opinion, your credibility is shot and you also kind of look like a dirt bag, but that's well, just, that's And a, then also make sure you're not the one making the first and the second offer, you know, don't negotiate with yourself. So, yeah. you know, I mean, that's, that's a really key point. I mean, you can't throw out your offer and then throw out the next offer well, without, what if I did more? Exactly. <laughs> So, you know, make sure that you're not, you know, it's like, okay, well, what, you know, really force it because I've, we've been in this position where they wouldn't counter. They just wanted another counter from us. And it, it was, you know, and you know, that was where we split out. Well, we don't know where you're at. So we're going to need, you know, we need to know where you're at so that we can, you know, see where we're at. It's not, you know, I, I don't want to be negotiating against myself. That's, it's not going to end well. You could even be that honest. Like I'm not going to bid against myself. Give me a number and I'll, I'll see what we can do. But you know, that's, that's huge. And, and honesty goes a long way. Genuineness really goes a long way. You really want to be comfortable in your own skin and negotiation. People will negotiate different ways because there's different personalities out there, but but don't get into a salesy negotiation slick kind of mindset. Just be yourself with great negotiation and rapport building skills. Andrew, you talk a lot about anchoring, which I think is a really important concept here. You want to mention anything about that? Yeah. Anchoring is just is a psychological concept. Basically people will gravitate towards a number that's thrown out there. So if you say something like this, this rehab will cost $2,000 and 
and then some third party asks, well, you know, you know, what do you think the, another person, what do you think this rehab will cost? It's much, it's much more likely they'll be near 2000 than if the person who was saying that, well, yeah, this rehab is going to cost a hundred thousand dollars. Studies have shown that like if somebody with those types of things, the person, no matter what, even if it's obvious, this rehab is probably like a $10,000, $20,000 one. Um, somebody, no, it's, it's, it's obviously it's like 30,000. Let's say it's that. Somebody first hears the 100,000, they'll probably come in more like 40 or 50. If somebody first hears the 2,000, they'll probably come in more like 10, even though they, they know that 2,000 is too low, but they still kind of anchored to that original number. They're trying to meet the expectation. Mm -hmm. So in some cases, if the person's really hesitant to give out a number, um, like their price, what they want. If you, if, I mean, it's more complicated to go see the property or at least get pictures of it. If you get pictures of it, um, that could be helpful. Plus maybe do a quick little analysis. You, you throw out a number, you've set the anchor like, Oh, well, I mean, maybe around this number, they don't have, uh, that might be so ridiculously though. They're not interested, but it also the, it sometimes makes sense to throw out the first number, but this can work in all sorts of ways. Like just showing a property. Oh, I love the kitchen, in this property before you enter the house. Like it's a great kitchen. Now, if it's just a, awful kitchen that's probably not something to say you'll just seem like you're absurd but if it's a decent kitchen people will think oh this is a really great kitchen um or they're more Look likely to think basic that so, cabinets so <laughs> there's all sorts of different ways you can you can use that concept to drop either a, a, a numerical anchor or a, qual a qualitative anchor um into into these conversations and especially if the seller is not not interested in giving their offer right away but it's very good with regards to rehab numbers or what needs to be rehabbed or, or things like that as well so typically what we'll do when we meet with a seller we'll look for what we call an as-is comp it's a property that's sold somewhere in the near vicinity ideally same street couple houses down street or two over that we can point to as this property needed a decent amount of work and sold for insert number well below retail, right? It was a foreclosure. Maybe it was a rental that they sell tenant occupied, but you know, the home around the corner from you just sold for $75,000. So then when they ask for 200,000, we can like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So the run around the corner just went for 75 and it was the same layout, same square footage, same size. Um, maybe yours is a little bit nicer. Maybe yours needs more work, but you know, I can only pay what the market allows, right? I, I can't overpay. So we're going to pay fair market value again, pushing towards that as is comp based off of the condition your house is in. So if your house is in better shape, we may be at more, if it's in worse shape, chances are we're going to be below, but we can both agree the house around the corner just sold for 75,000, right? And we will even print off that comp, right? So then they're anchored at the fact of, well, crap, the neighbors just went for 75. They're asking price of 125. Now they're like, hmm, maybe that is a little bit high, right? So that's one of the ways we use it in the direct to seller piece of just setting the expectation of distressed assets like your property in this part of town are typically trading for this number. Now, um, we're not saying your house is worth X. We're just saying, Hey, this is a factual piece of data that we want you to be aware of before we even step inside the home. So, um, can be a, a good thing to do. Um, sometimes it's like sucker punching them where they're like, Oh my gosh, I thought this was worth a million dollars, but it's better to get that out of the way in the beginning. Well, another critical anchor is, uh, when you, understand how much rehab costs. Every single seller nearly underplays, undervalues, uh, under assumes what, what actual rehab costs. So, oh, Hey, I can, ready. 
I could do that on a weekend. I could do all that painting and that, you know, upgrading that plumbing on a weekend. You know, I could do that, you know, and it probably cost me, oh, you know, $5,000 when you know you're looking at $50,000. So I think dropping numbers once in a while without denigrating the property, I do not like going around denigrating the property. I think that is a is a recipe for especially if they're owner occupied. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Be be careful with the neighborhood too. Cause even if it's like a horrible part of town, they may have grown up there. Those may be there. Like, but dropping an anchor, like I know given my, you know, experience and what this is going to take, it's going to take $50,000 to rehab this property. And, And just in passing, you mentioned that number that anchors the fact that, you know, that the rehab is going to be much more expensive than the numbers they're giving out. They might even gasp at that point, but at least there's no confrontation. It's just saying, well, from my perspective, uh, you know, the after repair value that I'm going to have to bring this property up to is going to take X number of dollars to do. What we do with repairs is we say in order to get it into the level of condition I need it to be in, with my contractors, it's going to cost me 50000 The problem if you say, hey, it needs fifty. They'll go get another bid, and when that guy comes in at forty thousand, you're a scumbag, <laughs> right? So we throw it out there as our guys, our crew. Uh, one thing we've done lately that has actually been pretty helpful: if we mention something like, "Oh, it needs a new roof," okay, that's going to be you know five thousand bucks, right? And they come back with like, "Oh, no, it's like twelve hundred dollars." If you whip out your phone and just Google roof in city, you'll get like an Angie's list or something like that with quotes that'll show you the typical home or the typical roof in that zip code is like twelve to 15,000, right? It's retail pricing. So that's a good way for us to like, well, you're saying it's 1500. I can do it for five. My guys are good. But like, I mean, they're saying right here in your neighborhood, it's ten to fifteen thousand dollars. You may have a buddy that you can pay in Michelob Ultra who'll do it for twelve hundred bucks. Uh, he's not going to give me that deal. Is one of the good ways we kind of get through any of the uh, any of the rehab objections. Well, and that can sort of move us into the next thing. The reason why they haven't ever done that work is because it's a lot of work, and they're maybe not going to get to it. And you know, so that's you or know, they with don't have figure, the money. right? Well, they don't have the money, so it's sort of figuring out like, okay, if what, you know, to, what do you want out of this and to get you out, you know, to get you out of this, how can we make it work for both of us? You know, how can, um, you know, you don't have those guys to do that work and you can't do it for this. And we do, and, you know, we're kind of getting there, but, you know, kind of talking it through so that it, you know, you both come out of it with what you want. Well, and I think Amanda kind of hit the nail on the head. How can we get out of this, what we both want. And uh, Stephen Covey, of course, has the famous phrase, coming to a win-win solution. Now, there's a there's a lose-win, there's a win-lose, there's a win-win, and there's win or no deal. So there's actually four different places you could end up. I mean, you want to avoid the first two of win-lose or lose-win. That's not what you're looking for. Now, your win might be pr- all about price. It might be that that's what it has to be. Or it might I mean, be, as an investor, it should be. <laughs> yeah, or it, it might also possibly be terms. So you might be able to win a little bit more on terms, lose a little bit more on price. It, it depends on the deal, for sure. If seller financing is involved, for instance, maybe terms are important to you enough. Or if you can do a subject to deal, in other words, you're taking over the mortgage from the homeowner or the, the, the owner and you're keeping them on title, but you're, or you're, you're going on title, but you're keeping them on the mortgage. That's a pretty, 
for most owners, that's a pretty dicey situation. But if you build the appropriate rapport, if you if they can tell that you'll do what you say you'll do, and that's winning on terms sometimes. So whatever whatever your win is, you want them to also have a win. And and the key thing there is what is their win? I mean, instead of just thinking what is my win the whole time, what is their win here? That's going to get you to the place. Ultimately, of, what do they need out of it? Yeah, yeah. Is it now, the flexibility? Is it is it a particular dollar amount? And sometimes they're not going to get exactly what they want, but they they get a good deal. You know, we'll run into situations where it's like, well, you know, I only owe forty, but I have eighty thousand in dumb debt that I'm trying to tack onto this. So my mortgage is one twenty, and we have to explain, like, look. Uh, no, your mortgage is 40. Our offer wipes out 60% of what you owe, which is way better than owing 100% of it, right? So I, real quick, Bill, I, I love that you pointed out the win-lose. I think there's a misconception among people who are getting into real estate of like, why would anybody sell anything for less than what it's worth? And if I'm winning, somebody else has to be losing. And that's simply not the case. It's not always price. So I think that's huge to point out that even though we're building large portfolios, even though we're making money, um, the people we come into contact with, th these are win-wins. Uh, a friend of mine has the analogy of the grocery store model. If I see a seller whose house I bought, you know, in the bread aisle, do I have to kind of like, oh, okay, <laughs> like slip out the back or can I walk up and ask how the kids are doing? And I, I think that's an important distinction of it's not just about price. It's truly what do they need out of it? I'd be interested in our group here. What what do you feel is your growing edge about negotiation, and to, what what's your weakness when it comes to negotiation? What what do you struggle with the most? For me, I'd say it's probably confrontation. Um, growing up, no meant no. <laughs> like uh, it wasn't like, well, try me again five minutes. Like my parents were, you didn't go back and like, well, can they please come over? It was like, no, now they can't come over for a week. Right. So for me, it's have, it's been growing out of that kind of like being okay with that tension of I put out what they wanted. Like what Amanda mentioned, um, you know, having the courage to ask for what you want, they didn't agree with it, but I'm going to rebuild value in my position and put the ball back into their court of, well, what could you do instead of just kind of letting it die there? So for me, it's I'm constantly in every aspect, always just trying to go one step further. You know, if uh, and I just constant improvement is how I look at my entire business, but in negotiations in particular, OK, last time I gave up here or I gave in here, or I actually came up more than I wanted to. Um, this time I'm going to hold to my numbers a little bit better. And uh, I tell the folks I work with to treat it like a game. Like, you know, if, if you got two back and forths, go for three the next time, right? Even if, even if there's no way on earth, this is going to be a deal. If you just get a little bit better at negotiating, that'll pay dividends. Seven no's are halfway to a yes. How about you, uh, Andrew or Amanda? What, uh, where do you feel like? I mean, I would say mine is probably the same. Making, making offers that are substantially lower than what they want or what they've said is, is always been a bit of a challenge. And I think that's, I don't think that's an uncommon problem. 
you know, there's that saying that, you know, if your first offer, if you're not embarrassed by your first offer, you offer too much. Um, I mean, obviously that's not always true, but there's, there's definitely some truth to it. And I think that is, uh, that's one of those things that, that can be a challenge for me. Um, I think it goes back to the, not, this is, you know, not taking it too personally. I can get really wrapped up into the personal story of somebody and then feel really bad for them. Um, and, overpay or give away too much. Now I can sometimes be completely the opposite as well, but I think it really <laughs> depends on if it, you know, if it, it hits to a little too close to home and, you know, maybe I'm not the best person to be doing it at that point. Yeah. It reminds me of, I think we lost $50,000 on a flip because I got too involved in the story of a guy going to prison. I think it was 80, but I don't. Oh God! Well, our own guys did a lot of the work, so I'm going to say it was less. Brutal facts, though. In order to move forward, and that didn't oh, include the holding costs. But whatever makes you want to sleep at night, anyway. <laughs> Boy, uh, can you edit that out? Uh, one one thing that I Andy. love and also simultaneously hate about Amanda is she she doesn't let you tell yourself stories <laughs> like, "Oh no, we're doing great." You're not. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway. One one thing to, that I think I just pulled out of what, something that Ryan said, it was the what, what, what factor. I'm not sure what principle you call this, but it's when somebody says something and you respond with, <gasps> you know, in other words, you, you've basically indicated with a very nonverbal, pretty much a nonverbal, <clears throat> maybe a gasp, a, a, a subtle gasp, just That's anything. Like the, you're out of your dang mind yeah. sound. <gasps> <laughs> it's not a bad thing to to use that because uh, it does interesting communicate. Is one of my favorites. Okay, oh, that'll interesting. work too. Because mm -hmm. that's like they're like, what, what what's interesting? Yeah, or if just I can get mm. a roof done for twelve hundred bucks. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Or anyway, like, you think this is a great part of town? <laughs> We've obviously not crossed every T and dotted every I on negotiating. But uh, I think we've hit many of the skills that uh, are important. And in general, the skill of empathy, I guess, is what's critical is to get into somebody else's head, somebody else's life situation, somebody else's uh, perspective and see it from from their point of view. Bill, wasn't that number 34 on your Clifton Strength Yeah, Finders? yeah, okay. My Clifton Strength <laughs> Finders, there's 34 strengths and empathy happens to be my last one. So it's all sad for my wife, by the way, but... I mean, mine's mine's pretty similar, so I, I, can't, uh, I can't talk too much, but I think it's choosing to try to put yourself in the other person's shoes of really what do they need out of this and what can be the best best path forward. If you're like Bill and I, and like, you know, my wife, we can be watching TV. And if someone starts to cry, she'll just start to cry. She's like, I just feel their pain. <laughs> like it's not even real. They're an actor or actress. Right. Um, but for me, like it's, it's okay. If I was in their position, what is the best way for them forward? And a lot of the times with these folks who end up with distressed houses, the best way forward is just to get out of that situation. And I think that's where as an investor, we can really kind of be like, I don't know, a light to our communities is by getting people out of situations that, you know, they probably got themselves into because they didn't say what they wanted or what they needed, like Amanda mentioned. Um, I buy a lot of houses from people who bought the house for a family member or for a kid who ended up being a bum and not helping with the bills. 
And now we've got, you know, a disabled vet on social security paying this guy's light bill, right? So um, choosing to kind of step into their shoes, even, you know, you don't necessarily have to feel how they're feeling, which I think is probably where Bill and I fall, but we can look at where they're out, where they're at, what is the best way for them out? Yeah, and uh, Ryan, from now on, I'm going to take you up on how you respond to your wife with romantic comedies and just say, honey, why are you crying? It's just an actor shedding those tears. <laughs> Boy, I love that. That Calm that, down works works wonders does as it? well. Uh, don't sweat it. <laughs> don't sweat it. It's a great, great response too. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Ama- well. Amanda's like just getting red. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for tuning into this episode. Uh, if you've liked what you've heard, Remember to subscribe and share the podcast with other people. Catch a copy of our ebook, and and uh, look us up. Uh, send us some questions, comments. We love to hear from you, so it uh, directs us in further episodes. Have a good day. 